First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. Again, it's good to have everyone this morning. <clears throat> Glad many of you are feeling better. <clears throat> Prayed for continued healing. Blessings. First Peter chapter four. Let's read verses 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Peter confesses that these trials are not just any trial, but they are fiery, which means very fierce. <clears throat> but rejoice. Don't think it's strange, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That's the ground for the rejoicing in fiery trials, because they're made partakers of Christ's sufferings. But that's not the goal. That's not the end. That's not the end effect, the end purpose of God in these fiery trials. The end of God's divine purpose in that is that when His glory shall reveal. That immediately removes any merit of man. Any endurance or perseverance he might think he showed during those fiery trials, that just takes man completely out of the picture again. and puts all the glory on Christ. That when His glory, not yours, shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, these words of the Apostle Peter are very heart-searching. And we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would give us understanding this morning that we might comprehend them, that we might understand them. For, Father, as the fiery trials were strangers or strange to the suffering believers in Peter's day, Father, this exhortation is strange to us today because of the lack of fiery trials. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins and our iniquities. I pray that you'd forgive us of where we've fallen short. Remind us again this morning that we are pilgrims and strangers. That you, God, are our dwelling place, not this world. That you're our portion and not this world. Christ, I pray you'd help us this morning. Wing our hearts from this present evil world and draw them closer to thee. My Father, I pray that you'd forgive me even now of failing you. Help me to glorify your name. But most of all, Father, help me to glorify that one person that you love and adore above all things, that being your only begotten Son. May I glorify him so that you might be glorified, so that we might be blessed with your presence and with your truth. Father, we pray for understanding again. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Peter does not belittle the trials that these believers were suffering. He says they are fiery. They had been scattered across the country for their faith in Christ. When we read in Hebrews of the sufferings of many of the believers in the days of Peter and Paul, what they suffered for their faith in Christ, to be honest with you, it should put us today to shame for what we define as sufferings for Christ. I must humbly confess this morning that my time spent in studying this passage of Scripture has often been met with a great sense of unworthiness as well as great sorrow and sadness. For I fear that these words of divine exhortation given by Peter are as strange to many professing believers today as the fiery trials were to the scattered believers of Peter's day. We see this exhortation as strange. They saw the fiery trials as strange. If such fiery trials moved the suffering believers of Peter's day to think them strange or think them a strange thing, should not the lack of such fiery trials today greatly move God's people to consider such a lack an even greater and stranger thing? In my 40 years of being a Christian, I must sadly admit, though I do not wish to belittle those in the world who have suffered severely for the cause of Christ, and there are many, and I wish not to belittle them or mistakenly grieve them. There are and have been always Christians in the world who have suffered severely for their faith in Christ. Yet in my 40 years as a believer in the Western world, I fear we know nothing of fiery trials. Refusing to take a vaccine, receiving worldly persecution is not fiery trials. Don't misunderstand me. A few days in jail for not obeying the law to shut down is far from a fiery trial. Trials they may be, yet I I fear we know nothing of fiery trials, but I believe that that will soon be removed, that ignorance. And I believe it will be because of fiery trials. And so, though this exhortation might seem strange to us this morning, I hope and pray that as Peter sought to comfort them in the fiery trials, I pray God would give us grace to understand uh, the purpose of fiery trials so that when they do arrive, and they are coming, if we live long enough and the world keeps going the way it is, that they are coming because judgment is beginning at the house of God. So I believe they are coming. So may God prepare us to understand those fiery trials when they do arrive. Our Lord said, in the world you shall have tribulation. That's what He said. If you were of the world, He says further in John 15, the world would love His own. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, you're strangers, you're pilgrims, God is your portion. God is your dwelling place. Heaven is your heavenly country which you seek. Hebrews chapter 11. You're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. The world hateth us not because of anything of our own, but the world should hate us because Christ has chosen us out of it. That means He's made us pilgrims and strangers. But evidently, in the day and age in which we live in, we've lost that identity with Christ. And my question this morning before we begin is, Has God's people become so familiar and friendly with the world that they have lost their identity with Christ? Therefore, the world accepts them as their own. If you are of the world, the world would love their own. The sad reality is to witness the lives of many professing believers today, especially on the Internet, one would believe they were residents and dwellers of this world, not pilgrims and strangers who are merely passing through to a heavenly country. And you look at some of the enjoyments and satisfaction and pleasures that Christians are flaunting on Facebook, you you get this strange idea that they would miss this world if God took them out of it. greatly saddened me and greatly humbled me, for I believe I'm not all guiltless of that same sin and mistake. And I began to ponder in my own heart and wonder how much of a pilgrim and stranger I am. I'm not saying that we need to be like the priest monks in Germany who went up to a hill and separated themselves from the world. And Nothing you do physically produces anything spiritual. It's not your circumstances and surroundings. It's the condition of our heart. Man believes if I can change my surroundings, I'm more godly. It'll never happen. Even if you're on an island all by yourself, you have the greatest enemy that you ever face in this life, namely your own heart. But how much of a pilgrim and stranger are we to this world? Many seem today to embrace the world's idea of pleasure and prosperity, lavishing themselves with her ways of life. First John was the one that said, Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a fact. It's a reality. Has the church, has the people of God today lost their identity with Christ in such a fashion that the world accepts them, embraces them? But i got another question for you as I pondered this scripture this last week. Could the lack of tribulation and affliction for the cause of Christ be evidence of divine judgment upon the house of God? 
For surely, according to Peter's exhortation, judgment must begin at the house of God. Right? For though such trials and afflictions may for a season, if need be, bring heaviness, grief, or sorrow, Peter says, there is a much greater loss without them. And this is what I really want you to understand this morning. Could this, could a lack of tribulation and affliction for the cause of Christ be evidence of God's divine judgment upon His people? Because afflictions and tribulations work for us. You see, our hearts are so slothful and sluggish and prone to wander. Without tribulations and afflictions, we are so quickly led astray from Christ and embrace the things of the world. We need... I'm not asking for them. I'm not morbid. I want God's divine purpose to be done. But as children of God, we need trials and tribulations and afflictions because they work for us, without which God sort of leaves us to our own and we wander astray. So could this be an evidence, this lack of tribulation? Could it be an evidence of God's divine judgment beginning at His house? Because, beloved, I believe, according to the language of Scripture, we're at a greater loss with the lack of tribulation than too much tribulation. Look over in Romans 5. Let me show you the danger of this. Lack of tribulation. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Now listen to the Word of God here. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Look at all the effects of tribulation. Look at the divine effects, the divine fruits of tribulation. What becometh of these glorious virtues if there be no sanctified tribulation. Listen to it. We glory in tribulations also. Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, hope maketh not a shame because the love of God. With no tribulation, we lack these things. This is God's divine order of establishing these things. Without tribulation, we lack. So could it not be an evidence of divine judgment when God does not let us have tribulations? Do we not lack these things? Surely we do. Again, I'm not, I'm not asking for God to bring down multitude of tribulations. I, I'm, I'm just making a point. The same point Peter made with the, the scattering believers, but in a different view. They thought it strange because of the fire trials. Beloved, we should surely think it strange because of the lack thereof. Something's happening. Tribulations work with patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, and hope spread of the broad, the love of God in our heart. Where do these things be if we have not tribulation? What happens to these things? Look over in First Peter chapter 1. Again, things to ponder. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. 
we know these verses very well. Wherefore you greatly rejoice. There's the rejoicing. Peter talks about rejoicing all the time. Wherefore you greatly rejoice, though now for season, if need be, ye are in heaviness, grief, sorrow, through what? Manifold temptations. That what? That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perish, perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom ye have not seen, ye love, in whom though now you see not, you believe, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What happens when the trying of our faith is not tried? Without the trying of our faith, what shall Christ find at his appearing? The trial of your faith being much more precious, verse 7, than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus. You see what we'll be lacking? You see what's lacking here? Without the trying of our faith, do you see what we're missing? You see what the trying of our faith prepares us for? One more, James, chapter 1. Again, very well-known passage of Scripture. James 1. Verse 2, brethren, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Not temptations of sin, but trials. Why? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, here it is again, worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be, in, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Without the trying of our faith, patience, perfect work is denied and will always be wanting. Do you see the effects of this? Do you... Those are just three verses, but you see the divine effects, God's divine purpose and tries, trials and tribulations and afflictions. And when those things be lacking, what will we be lacking in? You see the necessity of these things. You understand? So you understand that we don't go out looking for them, but we pray that God, in His divine providence and his sovereignty ordained those things to be that we might have these things it's in god's divine purpose that these things belong to us tribulations trials that's why peter said don't think it a strange thing but it's god's purpose rejoice he says And yet Peter gives us an even greater, more glorious hope concerning our fiery trials. Namely, he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 13, namely he says that enables us to be partakers of Christ's sufferings. Look at chapter 4, verse 13 of Peter. Well, let me read 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you at will, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. What a contradiction from what they were thinking. They thought it was strange. What they thought to be depressive, and that's what strange meant, they were depressed by this. They were depressed by this. What they thought to be depressive and strange was in reality grounds for great rejoicing. Beloved, an old preacher basically said this, so it's not nothing that came of myself, but it really makes a lot of spiritual sense and biblical sense. What is often painful and destructive to the flesh gives life to the spirit. Paul's thorn in the flesh 
was in reality an ambassador of Christ's all-sufficient grace. Paul didn't at first see that. This is a thorn. This is a pain. It's a thorn in my flesh. Until Christ says, oh, no. That thorn was sent for me. It's an ambassador of grace. That thorn is sent for me. It's a thorn. It's a thorn in your flesh, but it's not for your spirit. It's necessary for you. Therefore, what he once desired to be removed from him three times, he now took pleasure in. So Peter's using the same divine principle, the same spiritual, scriptural principle. You think this is strange and depressive. I'm telling you, this is great reason to rejoice. That's why we looked at last week, their thinking was wrong. Think not. You're not looking at this properly. You're not understanding this properly. You don't understand what these fiery trials, you don't know the end effects of these things. You don't know God's divine purpose in them. Just like Paul didn't know God's divine purpose in the thorn. Beloved, our afflictions, though burdensome to the flesh, they work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, Paul said. Being made light and but for a moment, while we look on things not seen, which are eternal, Second Corinthians 4. You know why our burdens, our afflictions are light and but a moment? It's when we look at them through the things of eternity. Listen, think about that for a minute. These light afflictions, which are but for a moment, work forth a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For they help us to look at things that are not seen. Our burdens become light and they become just momentarily. Like we sang in that psalm. It, it, that psalm, I love that psalm because it shows the brevity of life. Man grows like a grass and he's whisked away. He's like a wind. He's like a vapor and he's gone. When we look at the things of eternity, the burdens and afflictions of this present life are nothing. They're nothing. And that's what Peter does, just like Paul did. This is what Peter does. He said, don't think it's strange, but rejoice in so much as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, look at it in the light of eternity. It makes our afflictions light in but a moment. In but a moment. You see how important such fire trials, tribulations, and afflictions. Do you see God's divine purpose and providence in these things? And when these things lack, then surely it must be the evidence of God's judgment upon the church. I don't know about you, but I've been saved for over 40 years. And my, if God don't keep my heart, I wonder. We tend to wander astray without these fiery trials and afflictions. And not just wander astray. There's a lot of things about God and Christ we will never learn without them. And sometimes these are the greatest messengers of God that we'll ever, ever know. But rejoice, Peter said in verse 13, but rejoice in as much, I love the King James, in as much as you are partakers. 
And I love the word partakers. I know it means share or communicate, which is good, but I love the word partakers. As ye are part, ye are partakers because of these fiery trials of Christ's suffering. That's an amazing statement. That's an amazing divine truth. If we would just but take the time to sit and meditate on this in light of our trials, not looking at them in a field merely purely theological setting, but practical. If when we are in a trial, we stop and go back over what Peter is saying here in verse 13, I believe that would bring a lot of rejoicing and joy to the heart of a child of God. That's why I purposely sung all those hymns about the Lord's sufferings. Now, these sufferings, I hope we're all in agreement, are not the sufferings Christ paid for our salvation. We could never suffer to that extent because Christ is the only one that could. It's not talking about the sufferings He suffered for our sins, but He's talking about the physical sufferings our Lord suffered as He walked amongst men. We're sharing in those sufferings. We can't share in His salvation. Salvation is only purely by God's grace. It's only by Christ and by Christ alone. We have no merit. We have no part of it. This doesn't make our salvation more perfect. What it's basically saying is we share or we're partakers of Christ's sufferings, which he suffered. And like I said, anything that makes us partakers of Christ in anything, even in sufferings, it must be the most glorious thing for a child of God. To be partakers of Christ in anything. Most of the time when we speak of being partakers of Christ or communication with Christ or one with this Christ, we're thinking about the joy He gives us, the peace He gives us. And John, He says, I give you my peace. I give you joy. I give you all these things. Let your heart may be troubled. We look at the positive things. Have you ever considered your afflictions, your fiery trials, as making you partakers of Christ's sufferings? It takes it to a whole new level. Then who cares how fiery they might be? Who cares how troubling they might not be they might be? As long as I'm assured they make me partakers of Christ's sufferings. But not for myself, but when his glory shall revealed I may I may be glad also with exceeding joy. Glad with exceeding joy. There's something about that time when His glory is revealed that the gladness and exceeding joy, our fiery trials, enhance that. Wouldn't you want to be part of that? Wouldn't you? There's something. There's a mystery here, which I believe we'll never know until that day arrives. There's a mystery here that we may be glad also with exceeding joy. What gives us that gladness and exceeding joy? Because we suffered with Christ. We were partakers with Him. Not simply because I'm a Christian. Those people who take the sovereignty of God to a hyper never understand this divine truth. Because God has done everything in such a way that there's nothing left for you to be due or nothing left for you to enjoy. And I don't mean in regards of salvation. There's no way, there's no progressive sanctification. There's no growing in grace. There's no growing to know the Lord. Everything's perfectly complete, complete. So you just sit back and debate theology and wait till God comes back because everything's complete. Everything in your life is so ordained 
that it doesn't matter what happens, you're going to get what you want or get what God gives you. So it doesn't matter how you live and it doesn't matter what you go through. They are missing out on so much of the blessings God has ordained for us in many things, but especially in our fiery trials. Beloved, like I said earlier, herein lies the divine promise which makes the bitter waters of every fiery trial sweet. It's almost like the three Hebrew children. You remember? We danced to our tomb. They said, no, we won't. God will deliver us, and if you don't, we're not going to do it anyway. Oh, he got mad. He got mad. The king got mad. He, he just intensified the heat of the furnace and so much that the guards that were holding the three Hebrew children were burned up in the flames. They couldn't stand it. They cast them down in the fire, in the fire, in the midst of this fiery, flaming heat. The king goes over the opening and says, I see four walking in the fire, fellowshipping, communion, partakers of Christ's sufferings. Beautiful picture of fiery trials. Beloved, I'm, I'm telling you there's, there's a fellowship to be had in our fiery trials with Christ that without which we would be denied. We're missing this in this day and age. And it greatly saddens my heart. I'm not trying to go out there and make afflictions come, but I'm telling you I can't help but believe this might be a divine judgment of God because we're missing something of, of ultimate immense value. We're missing a fellowship with Christ that we cannot have without it. And what we consider as fiery trials is nothing. Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? People were beheaded, thrown to the lions, drowned, put in a, in a log and cut asunder. These people were scattered abroad. They lost their homes. They lost their wealth. They lost their property. They lost anything and everything of earthly value. And they were scattered abroad because of the cause of Christ. What little sufferings do we have now? I'm going to refuse the vaccine and I'm suffering persecution for it. You have no idea what persecution is. Look at today's Christians. We're living in luxury. Therefore, again, I say, and I know I'm repeating myself, but I can't help but to believe that the lack of tribulations is divine evidence of God's judgment beginning in His house. We lose so much of Christ. And in Philippians chapter 3, Maybe it is time that God's people begin to pray that we would suffer persecution. Or maybe it's time for God's people to show they are identified with Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 3. 
Paul here. This is, he's writing the Philippians. This is over 30 years in the ministry. He's been walking with Christ for 30 years, but he's never lost that hunger for Christ. Watch this, chapter 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. This was Vivian's text in her funeral, remember? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Look at, look at, look at, how he win Christ, suffer the loss of all things, count them but dung, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now watch this, that I may know him. Paul, you did not know Christ? Oh, yeah, he knew Christ, but I want to know him in a deeper, more intimate manner. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. There it is. That's what Peter's talking about. Partakers of Christ's sufferings. Paul said, calls it fellowship. There's a fellowship to be had with Christ when we suffer. Oh, I'm telling you, Christ draws near to us when we suffer for his name's sake. He draws near to us in a manner and a fashion which we know not. I have a book in my library about years ago about the history of the saints of God in their dying days and to read some of the testimonies and to read some of their words that they spoke when they were under severe affliction for Christ to send chills up your spine, how near and intimate Christ was to them in that moment of severe darkness, how Christ drew so close to them. There was nothing more precious to them. In fact, it drove them to the point to where, and I believe like Paul, he said, after the suffering, fellowship of the sufferings being made conformable unto his death, they desired death to be with Christ. So is it sad that we lack tribulation? Very much so. Have we lost our identity with Christ? Paul said in Philippians 1.29, For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ. Listen to you. Listen to this. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, that's a blessing, but also to suffer for His sake. It's given unto you. It's given unto you to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Do you know not only is faith in Christ an unmerited gift of God, but also to suffer for his sake is also an unmerited gift of God? Have you ever looked at suffering that way? It's an unmerited gift of God. <laughs> let me read Acts chapter 5. I'm going to turn there, that's fine, but not. Just let me read Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> Another well-known passage of Scripture, but Acts chapter 5 in verse 40 and 42. Talking about the apostles here, 40. And to them they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, 
They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. There's that word rejoicing under trials again. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They counted, they were, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy. We're not even worthy to suffer for his name in reality. When I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died, when we think and meditate and survey the sufferings that Christ did on Calvary, what He went through for our sake on Calvary, what He suffered for our sake, any amount of suffering I might do in this physical very brief life is nothing to be compared to what He did for me. So for me to suffer for Christ, I'm not even worthy to suffer for Him. That's how highly esteemed He is in the eyes of the believer. I'm not worthy to suffer for your cause. But when you allow me to suffer for your cause, there's no greater glory. What are we missing what are we lacking in this day and age? God, be gracious to us. Forgive us. And in judgment, remember mercy. For when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. There's when the joy comes. You see that? It's not presently. But when His glory is revealed. Oh, again, that's a mystery that I, it confounds me. It confounds me when His glory... What is that going to be like? What, what does that even mean? When His glory shall be revealed. I know we can go to Scripture and try to theologically explain it, but I'm, I'm telling you, there's a mystery here. On Mount Transfiguration, they see in Christ's glory. Is it that kind of glory? Was it the glory John seen in Revelations when he saw Christ and fell as a dead man? Is it the glory when they see his face on the throne and the entire universe in Revelation just disappears, just vanishes? What kind of glory is it? I don't have any idea. I don't think anybody does. But there's something here. When his glory shall be revealed, it's something that's going to give us a reason for being glad and exceeding joyful. But that's all because we suffered and we're partakers with Christ's sufferings. That's what enhances that. Beloved, that's, there's not more I can say to that except that. All I can do is read you Scripture and say, now think about it, contemplate it on your own because I don't think you'll find words to define it. But it's going to happen. Why do you think Peter goes on, and I'll bring this to a close, but why do you think Peter goes on? He doesn't even stop there. He, he goes on in chapter 4. <clears throat> if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are. That's present. You're happy. I mean, that happy are you if you're reproached for Christ. Happy. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What more would you want? 
and we'll look at that next week, but on their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part it's glorified. But let, let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody. I, I, that busybody in other man's matters. I wonder why, why Peter put that in there. It's something to contemplate. If any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. You see, so you have present blessings in verses 14 and 16 with reproaches for Christ. But every time you have happy, joyful. See, they thought it was strange. Now be happy, be joyful, don't be ashamed, glorify God on his behalf. Beloved, they thought it strange because of the fiery trials. It's strange today because of the lack of there of, of them. We're missing something. And I'm not saying trying to produce something in the flesh. I'm not trying to say that we can do anything of our own. But, beloved, I hope and pray this excites or encourages us to pray that God would guide and direct us so that we might long to be more identified with Christ and less with this world. The judgment begins at the house of God. Maybe possibly the lack of tribulation is a sign of his coming judgment. Because I believe tribulations are coming. If the Lord don't come back, they're coming. And it's going to be more than just simply refusing a vaccine or, you know, taking my guns away or taking our liberty away to meet. It's going to be more than that. Read Hebrews 11, Peter fiery trials. They're, they're, they're coming. May God give us wisdom to understand Peter's exhortation so that when they do, instead of being depressed or thinking it's strange, we can rejoice. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so humbled by your word and why you would even divinely choose man to try to proclaim it. I'm dumbfounded and bewildered. Lord, I pray that, Lord, your word would go out this morning and I pray it would inspire your children. I pray that, Lord, it would drive us to consider in prayer and meditation. Help us, Lord God, I pray, as this world begins to grow ever more in wickedness. Lord, we're not asking for these things to happen to produce anything. We're just beseeching you, dear Lord God, that you'd help us to be reminded that we are pilgrims and strangers, that you're our dwelling place, you're our portion, you're our Father, Christ, our brother. And Lord, we're simply pilgriming through this barren land of sin. We're looking for a heavenly country. Please set our affections on things above so that people in this world might clearly see that we identify ourselves not with the world or the things of the world or the lusts and pleasures of the world, but with Christ. Lord, as we draw near to you, Lord, the persecution and tribulation will come because the reproaches are for Christ's sake, not for our own. Lord, guide us and direct us, we pray. Give us strength and grace and mercy, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.